across the fetid mass of putrefaction. It was not until we had passed through seven caves of different sizes and varying but little in the power and quality of their stenches that we met with any physical opposition. Then within the eighth cave we came upon a lair of apse. A full score of the mighty beasts were disposed about the chamber. Some were sleeping, while others tore at the flesh-killed carcasses of new-brought prey, or fought among themselves in their love-making. Here, in the dim light of their subterranean home, the value of their great eyes was apparent, for these inner caves are shrouded in perpetual gloom that is but little less than utter darkness. To attempt to pass through the midst of that fierce herd seemed even to me the height of folly, and so I proposed to Thuvan Din that he return to the outer world with Wula, that the two might find their way to the civilization and come again with a sufficient force to overcome not only the apse, but any further obstacles that might lay between us and our goal. In the meantime, I continued, I may discover some means of winning my way alone to the land of the yellow men. But if I am unsuccessful, one life only will have been sacrificed. Should we all go on and perish, there will be none to guide a succoring party to Dejathors and your daughter. I shall not return and leave you here alone, John Carter, replied Thuvandin. Whether you go on to victory or death, the Jeddak of Parth remains at your side. I have spoken. I knew from his tone that it were useless to attempt to argue the question, and so I compromised by sending Wula back with a hastily penned note enclosed in a small metal case and fastened about his neck. I commanded the faithful creature to seek Carthoris at Helium, and though half a world and countless dangers lay between, I knew that if the thing could be done, Wula would do it. Equipped as he was by nature with marvelous speed and endurance, and with frightful ferocity that made him a match for any single enemy of the way, his keen intelligence and wondrous instinct should easily furnish all else that was needed for the successful accomplishment of his mission. It was with evident reluctance that the great beast turned to leave me in compliance with my command, and ere he had gone I could not resist the inclination to throw my arms about his great neck in a parting hug. He rubbed his cheek against mine in a final caress, and a moment later was speeding through the carrion caves toward the outer world. In my note to Carthoris I had given explicit directions for locating the carrion caves, impressing upon him the necessity for making entrance to the country beyond through this avenue, and not to attempt under any circumstances to cross the ice barrier with the fleet. I told him that what lay beyond the eighth cave I could not even guess, but I was sure that somewhere upon the other side of the ice barrier his mother lay in the power of Mata Shang, and that possibly his grandfather and great-grandfather as well, if they lived. Further, I advised him to call upon Kulan Tith and the son of Thuvan Din for warriors and ships that the expedition might be sufficiently strong to ensure success at the first blow. And, I concluded, if there be time, bring Tars Tarkas with you, for if I live until you reach me, I can think of few greater pleasures than to fight once more, shoulder to shoulder, with my old friend. When Wula had left us, Thuvan Din and I, hiding in the seventh cave, discussed and discarded many plans for crossing the eighth chamber. From where we stood we saw that the fighting among the apps was growing less, and the many that had been feeding had ceased and lain down to sleep. Presently it became apparent that in a short time all the ferocious monsters might be peacefully slumbering, and thus a hazardous opportunity be presented to us to cross through their lair. 
one by one the remaining brutes stretched themselves upon the bubbling decomposition that covered the mass of bones upon the floor of their den until but a single ant remained awake this huge fellow roamed restlessly about nosing among his companion and the abhorrent litter of the cave occasionally he would stop to peer intently toward first one of the exits from the chamber and then the other his whole demeanor was as of one who acts as a sentry we were at last forced to the belief that he would not sleep while the other occupants of the lair slept and so cast about in our minds for some scheme whereby we might trick him finally i suggested a plan to thuvandin and as it seemed as good as any that we had discussed we decided to put it to the test to this end thuvandin placed himself close against the cave's wall beside the entrance to the eighth chamber while i deliberately showed myself to the guardian app as he looked toward our retreat then i sprang to the opposite side of the entrance flattening my body close to the wall without a sound the great beast moved rapidly toward the seventh cave to see what manner of intruder had thus rashly penetrated so far within the precincts of his habitation as he poked his head through the narrow aperture that connects the two caves a heavy longsword was awaiting him upon either hand and before he had an opportunity to emit even a single growl his severed head rolled at our feet quickly we glanced into the eighth chamber not a nap had moved crawling over the carcass of the huge beast that blocked the doorway thuvan din and i cautiously entered the forbidding and dangerous den like snails we wound our silent and careful way among the huge recumbent forms the only sound above our breathing was the sucking noise of our feet as we lifted them from the ooze of decaying flesh through which we crept halfway across the chamber and one of the mighty beasts directly before me moved restlessly at the very instant that my foot was poised above his head over which i must step breathlessly i waited balancing upon one foot for i did not dare move a muscle in my right hand was my keen short-sword the point hovering an inch above the thick fur beneath which beat the savage heart finally the app relaxed sighing as with the passing of a bad dream and resumed the regular respiration of deep slumber i planted my raised foot beyond the fierce head and an instant later had stepped over the beast thuvandin followed directly after me and another moment found us at the further door undetected the carrying caves consist of a series of twenty-seven connecting chambers and present the appearance of having been eroded by running water in some far-gone age when a mighty river found its way to the south through this single breach in the barrier of rock and ice that hems the country of the pole thuvandin and i traversed the remaining nineteen caverns without adventure or mishap we were afterward to learn that but once a month it is possible to find all the apps of the carrying caves in a single chamber at other times they roam singly or in pairs in and out of the caves so that it would have been practically impossible for two men to have passed through the entire twenty-seven chambers without encountering an apt in nearly every one of them once a month they sleep for a full day and it was our good fortune to stumble by accident upon one of these occasions beyond the last cave we emerged into a desolate country of snow and ice but found a well-marked trail leading north the way was boulder-strewn as had been that south of the barrier so that we could see but a short distance ahead of us at any time after a couple of hours we passed round a huge boulder to come to a steep declivity leading down into a valley directly before us we saw a half dozen men 
fierce black-bearded fellows with skin the color of a ripe lemon. The yellow men of Barsoom, ejaculated Thuvandin, as though even now that he saw them he found it scarce possible to believe that the very race we expected to find hidden in this remote and inaccessible land did really exist. We withdrew behind an adjacent boulder to watch the actions of the little party, which stood huddled at the foot of another huge rock, their backs toward us. One of them was peering round the edge of the granite mass as though watching one who approached from the opposite side. Presently the object of his scrutiny came within the range of my vision, and I saw that it was another yellow man. All were clothed in magnificent furs, the six in the black and yellow striped hide of the orlock, while he who approached alone was resplendent in the pure white skin of an app. The yellow men were armed with two swords, and a short javelin was slung across the back of each, while from their left arms hung cup-like shields no larger than a dinner-plate the concave sides of which turned outward toward an antagonist. They seemed puny and futile implements of safety against even ordinary swordsmen, but I was later to see the purpose of them, and with what wondrous dexterity the yellow men manipulated them. One of the swords which each of the warriors carried caught my immediate attention. I call it a sword, but really it was a sharp-edged blade with a complete hook at the far end. The other sword was of about the same length as the hooked instrument, and somewhere between that of my long-sword and my short-sword. It was straight and two-edged. In addition to the weapons I have enumerated, each man carried a dagger in his harness. As the white-furred one approached, the six grasped their swords more firmly, the hooked instrument in the left hand, the straight-sword in the right, while above the left wrist the small shield was held rigid upon a metal bracelet. As the lone warrior came opposite them, the six rushed out upon him with fiendish yells that resembled nothing more closely than the savage war-cry of the Apaches of the southwest. Instantly the attacked drew both his swords, and as the six fell upon him I witnessed as pretty fighting as one might care to see. With their sharp hooks the combatants attempted to take hold of an adversary, but like lightning the cup-shaped shield would spring before the darting weapon and into its hollow the hook would plunge. Once the lone warrior caught an antagonist in the side with his hook and drawing him close, ran his sword through him. But the odds were too unequal, and though he who fought alone was by far the best and bravest of them all, I saw that it was but a question of time before the remaining five would find an opening through his marvelous guard and bring him down. Now my sympathies have ever been with the weaker side of an argument, and though I knew nothing of the cause of the trouble, I could not stand idly by and see a brave man butchered by superior numbers. As a matter of fact, I presume I gave little attention to seeking an excuse, for I love a good fight too well to need any other reason for joining in when one is afoot. So it was that before Thuvandin knew what I was about, he saw me, standing by the side of the white-clad yellow man, battling like mad with his five adversaries. End of chapter 8